Welcome to Pencil Leadership. I'm Chris Anderson, success and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help you realize your full potential so you can leave a positive mark on the world. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. This is episode 132 with founder and CEO of First Root, Luke Homan. If you want to be a part of making a difference in the lives of others, make sure you share this episode and leave a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts, and together we can leave a positive mark. What happened in life that sparked First Root to start growing? Yeah, so it's a more than a decade story. Uh, I started more than a decade ago uh, working with large companies to help them collaborate better. And I wrote a book more than a decade ago that has had some moderate success in the agile software development, uh, agile software development community and the product development community. And the book was called Innovation Games, Creating Breakthrough Products Through Collaborative Play. So I had designed a set of games to help adults solve problem. And the way I sometimes describe it is imagine you were playing Scrabble, but at the end of the Scrabble game, your portfolio was prioritized or you had a product roadmap or you knew the right features to build in your product. Pretty cool. And so what happened was, is people started using these techniques in the annual budgeting cycle of large companies which if you've worked in a large company, it's an awful experience. You're supposed to collaborate with your peers for roughly nine months of the year. And then when you get into the annual budget planning cycle, it all becomes not very nice and you fight over the limited resources and it's just awful. And so people started using these techniques internally within companies, big companies, which really have these huge problems. I mean, smaller companies, you can kind of get into a room and you work it out. But if you're working for a big multinational company, you've got a lot of complex forces, you've got geographic differences, you've got cultural differences. So they started using these techniques. And uh, one, one thing led to another, and they asked me to build a software platform to help them manage their portfolios using these techniques. So I built a software platform uh, with myself and some friends. And that became successful. So our company, our clients were people that you would know of and have heard of BMW and Salesforce and eBay. And then I was sitting on a plane ride and the head of economic development of the city of San Jose, Kim Willesh, started telling me next to me on the plane ride about all of the challenges that San Jose was facing about prioritizing its city budget. This was way back in 2009 when we were still dealing with the economic crisis in 2010. And I said, just out of the blue, look, I do this for businesses. I'll do this for the city and I'll do it for free philanthropically because, you know, not everything you should do in life is just because you're paid to do it. Uh, I think that's part of going back to the pencil leadership. You know, leaving your mark doesn't have to be, you know, you shouldn't have to be paid to leave a good mark in the world. Um, And so we started doing it in cities and then I started doing it in schools and with my kids schools. And I, and I just got hooked on how powerful it was in taking concepts that are kind of abstract for kids, like a budget. And a lot of kids there, they know that you budget money, but they don't budget like their parents because they don't pay rent and they don't pay car insurance. And so a budget for a kid is like, yeah, whatever. My mom and dad do it. I get a little money. It doesn't make sense. I, you know, I don't, you know, it does, it doesn't motivate me. 
So rolling the clock forward, I sold uh, the company that I had created with my friends uh, in 2019, and that was a good outcome. Finished my integration tasks and then started First Root. And First Root is devoted to using participatory budgeting to teach financial literacy and positive civic engagement. And it's this kind of magical process. And, and we've been talking about it. So I think we should take a step back and actually explain it uh, to the listeners. Like, yeah, that'd be great. Cause no. you could explain it to me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this thing? And, exactly. and you know, it's not like we drive by and toss out a roll of a hundred dollar bills to the kids and say, <laughs> you'll figure right. it out. Right. Yeah. It's a structured process. So it's got five phases. Phase one is planning and we integrate the kids into the planning process and we ask them questions like who should be involved? Do you want the teachers involved? Do you want your parents involved? What should be the theme? Most of the time we recommend that it's just the students to really reinforce that they're in control of the money and they're not being overpowered by teachers or parents. The, the students will create a theme like about school safety or the school environment or educational resources. And that's phase one, planning. Phase two is ideation. And this is where the youth generate proposals according to the theme. How could we make the school better? How could we get better resources? And those ideas are raw. So let's say, for example, one student says, we need new basketball nets for the outside basketball court. Okay, then in the next phase, they go through a refinement process. Because if I walk up to you and, and I said, hey, I want new basketball nets, you'd ask me some really simple questions like, well, how many nets do we need? And you know, who's gonna install them? And how much do they cost? And where are you gonna get them? So in the refinement phase, the students look at the proposals and they refine them. And this integrates a lot of financial literacy and a lot of civics because we're going to ask questions also like well who benefits from this implement you know this proposal does the whole school benefit does a subset of the school benefit is it feasible is it desirable eventually you're going to get to between 3 and 15 proposals that the students have refined well enough to vote on then we do a vote and ideally, it's the entire school. Those, those were the uh, students who were invited to participate. And it's a straight vote. You know, majority wins. And then we go down the list of the results and we fund and we implement, according to the students' wishes, the proposals that they voted on. So they get to actually experience what a democratic process feels like when you have a positive engagement and you have a good outcome. Now, there's only two times where the uh, parents or the teachers are actually invited to be involved. And the first is in the preparation of the ballot. We wanna make sure that the school administration will implement what the students pick. So, and, and it doesn't, it sounds like that's nefarious or, or negative, but it's not. We had one example where the kids wanted to buy some new equipment for the chemistry lab and the teacher said, no, 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 don't buy that. We're planning on refurbishing the chemistry lab next year as part of our operating plan. So you shouldn't buy that. We're going to do that anyway. So that communication enhances the student's understanding of what the school is already intending to do. Um, the second place that we want the parental involvement is in securing the budget. So the budget has to come from somewhere. Usually it comes from the principal's discretionary funds. 
It often also comes from the PTA or the PTO, the Parent Teacher Association or the Parent Teacher Organization. And it often it comes from corporate sponsors or nonprofit sponsors. So for example, some schools in Chicago have done participatory budgeting with the Robert McCormick Foundation sponsoring them. I've done some work with schools here in California where uh, Salesforce has sponsored some schools. We're doing a project in Utah where Lucid Charts, which is a software company, a really nice software company, they're sponsoring a high school. So we're starting to see people realize our democracy is at risk in two ways. One is this growing wealth and economic inequality. And the second is the lack of civic engagement. People look at Congress and kind of say, uh, why should I vote? It, they clearly don't care about us anymore. They clearly don't really want to, you know, do the things that we need to do as a country. And now, fortunately, city politics is still much healthier. And, and we do see people engaged in cities and get benefits from cities. And so our hope at First Root is by giving kids these positive engagement experiences they will graduate and want to be more civically engaged. I think that's that's huge. Uh, I think that's an amazing platform and program. Just and it's not funny. It's ironic. It's it's not a coincidence. So we're actually currently uh, right now we're in August 2021, um, and we are in our city, our county, trying to get a humane uh, society. Uh, we're one of the few that don't have it. And so there's, there are meetings with the commissioners, uh, and the, and the county that are going on and, and we're having those, uh, those meetings and it's just an interesting interaction. This is the first time I've ever like even watched kind of basically one of these meetings take place and, and hear people present and, and all this. And, and it's something I never really was informed on. I mean, I had economics and I had government, but it just the interaction, I think the hands on what you're doing with this, I think that plays such a bigger impact or has such a bigger impact. Uh, and what because it, they have, you know, they have skin in the game. They're part of it. They actually well, yeah, it. yeah. And, and that's awesome. Skin in the game. And yeah, uh, you know, for the people who are listening, you're not going to know what I'm doing. So I'm holding up my hands and I've got a pretty big gap. And Chris can see this, right? Everyone has these many ideas. And everyone has this much money, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what part of life you're in. If, if you said to your, your partner or your spouse, your, and you said, hey, let's remodel our house, I guarantee you, you're going to create more cool ideas for a house remodel than you can afford. And we do that with, with our cities. And so, and we do this with our government. So we, we, we often celebrate when the kids have too many ideas. We actually tell them going into this, you're going to create a lot of good ideas and you're not going to be able to fund them all. And, and the goal isn't to just try and get more money. Sometimes it's also about realizing that the way to solve a problem is more than just buying your way out of it. And an example of that is we did a project with Hegel Elementary School in Madison, Wisconsin. So a bunch of fifth graders, <laughs> which is really funny watching a Zoom call of, you know, about 58 fifth grade voting and talking about their votes. But they, they chose in their ideation phase, they wanted to get a tree for the school. They know where the trees are needed, right? They, they're the kids who play in the playground, not the parents. And 
then they realized that they didn't have enough money. But then one of the teachers realized that a, a parent was an arborist. So they got the parent involved and the parent said, I'll donate the tree. And then the teacher said, well, come and talk to our class about what you do as a job as a way to you know, show the fifth graders there's lots of cool jobs. And then they showed a little bit of his talk and it was really cool. He comes in and he says, you know, do you like working outside? Do you like nature? Well, I did. When I was in fifth grade, I really wanted to have a job working outside and I didn't want to be a farmer because my dad was a farmer, but you know, I wanted to work outside and I love trees and I ended up going to school and I became an arborist. And it was just this amazing uh, life story of a person doing a job they really love. And you could see some of the kids in the class, you know, re being reinforced. Wow, I can do a job I love and, you know, and, and make enough to live. That's so neat because, yeah, I think back to my days growing up, like, you would learn about the, you know, the, the typical jobs and especially for the area you're in too, the, the typical SARS was, uh, we have Chrysler, uh, close by. So car manufacturing, auto manufacturing plants. So, so factory job or, you know, postman or mailman or things like that, school teacher. So you hear about the generic, you know, nothing wrong with those jobs, but there's so much more out there. And I think this again is another way to open our eyes, uh, or open our children's eyes to the possibilities. Like you don't have to follow and do exactly what everyone else has done. Like there's so many options. And again, it goes yeah. down ties with pencil leadership as everyone's created unique with a purpose and, yeah. and special abilities. And so now we can, we can tie it all together um, by being able to experience that through these, these interactions. Absolutely. And you know, when I was talking with you about being on the show and I, again, thank you very much for having me. I really do resonate with the the qualities of the pencil leadership, right? I, I love the fact that, and I kind of like the fact that you get worn down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like you got to get sharpened again, and and you you have to, and I think that that's an also an important thing for the kids to to learn because one of the nice things about participatory budgeting is it's a kind of schooling known as project based learning where you try to create a project to facilitate the kids learning as opposed to just reading a book and taking a test. And it's funny. I, one school we work with, they, the kids wanted a 3d printer. I can tell you for sure by the, the next two weeks where they were doing their refinement and their research, they learned more about 3d printers than I thought you could learn. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool though. That's it's just, I, I like that aspect and I, 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 I have ideas for pencil leadership one day to, to do things sort of like this, go into schools and give back and, and show kids that there's more out there uh, that they can, you know, take their passions and hobbies and turn them into something uh, as a, as a career field. And so I, I love again, what you're doing. And um, I, I'm curious, so kind of circling back to when we talked about civic involvement um, cause you don't hear a lot of people talk about civic involvement or anything kind of civics wise. Why do you think there's a lack of civic involvement nowadays? Well, we don't teach it anymore. Uh, I think, I think there's like, like there's that notion of what's called the Occam's razor. Like what's the simplest explanation for a phenomena? Uh, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, we don't teach civic in involvement. We don't teach civic engagement. Uh, we teach some structure of our democracy, you know, like what are the three branches of the government, but we don't teach, 
what it means to be a citizen. And I, and I think that part of that started to happen when we started to say that the, the purpose of government was to be like a business, right? You hear about government services. And yes, of course, the government provides the services and we, you know we pay taxes. But if you reduce the relationship that you have to your the place where you live to be transactional, you forget that you have neighbors. You forget that there's a community. Uh, I feel very lucky. I live in Sunnyvale, California, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley, which makes sense, right? I'm starting a software company, and that. But there's a lot of very silly behaviors in Silicon Valley, right? Too many rich people with. But our neighborhood is really tight. Like we have block parties. You know, our neighbors know each other. Our kids know each other. We could walk to school. So, so we felt pretty civically engaged. I think the other thing that happens about civic engagement is uh, social media and especially Facebook puts people into negative echo chambers where the algorithms of the way that Facebook makes money is through making your attention more um, volatile they make money by getting you hooked into kind of an, a, a, a rage state. So what happens is, is people, even if they have a center, a center right or a center left point of view, they out the, the engagement in social media is specifically designed by the engineers at these companies to create divisions because creating divisions creates more revenue for ads. And so we're selling our future and selling our soul to advertisers uh, and a few tech companies are making, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars from it. And I'm actually, I heard a new term. And so speaking of growth and learning, I heard a new term, someone, uh, one of the investors in our company, and we're actively raising money right now. Uh, but one of the investors said, I'm investing in your company because I'm looking for family tech. And I actually said to her, I said, what is, what is family tech? And she said, oh, family tech is this new kind of investment where you're building something that's healthy for families as opposed to something that's uh, negative to families. And so her whole investment thesis is, you know, she invests in healthy food and healthy, sustainable clothing. And, and, and apparently we were her first um, tech investment as a healthy tech company. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting shift, even from my perspective. I mean, I'm, I just turned 30 and looking back growing up and, and compared to my wife's a teacher now in the middle school, just a difference in, in what they're taught. And it's just an interesting change, an interesting shift. And in, in, I think we need to do better <laughs> going forward to educate, educate ourselves and educate our children on, on these kind of topics. So yeah, we don't and miss out. It, and lest the, I'm always a person who likes to um, subject what I'm doing to research if I can. So research from Arizona State University has actually shown that high school students who are engaged through a participatory budgeting program do actually graduate and become more civically engaged. They graduate, they register to vote, they become involved in their community, and they actually do vote. So we have some evidence that this positive experience does carry over. And my vision is to do participatory budgeting and then 
at every grade level so that as the kids mature, they become truly prepared to be as a citizen. Now, you know, it, it, you said your wife is at the elementary school, right? So maybe middle school, middle school. So middle school is different. Um, but like if you start with, say, the the um, fifth grade school, they're not going to know the complexities of voting algorithms, for example. They're just going to know majority vote. But by, by the time you get to high school, you can actually talk about how other countries and other societies and other groups have done variations in voting. And we teach that in our curriculum. We talk about, well, what's a majority vote? What's a ranked choice vote? What's a vote swap? And what is uh, the voting jurisdictions? What is gerrymandering? What, you know, who gets to draw those lines and how were those lines drawn? And what is the implication of those lines? You're not going to talk to a third grader about that. You're not going to talk to, you may talk about some different ways of voting to a seventh or eighth grader, but you're not going to really bring in gerrymandering and stuff. But by the time you're a senior and you're getting ready to go into the real world outside of school, well, these are, these are actually topics that affect your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always thought it, it, we need to have something that like this. And then that gives the kids opportunities to intern at different career paths because I mean, you come out of high school and people are like, all right, go to college for something and pick it now. And I'm like, these kids have like, I will, I'm not doing what I went to college for. Like there's so much out there. If we don't experience it, if we don't have those abilities or those openings possibilities to do that, how are they supposed to come out of high school knowing what they're going to do for the quote unquote rest of their lives? It's not, it's, it's illogical in my opinion. It is. And, and uh, I'm going to circle back. So we have two curriculum that we've developed, one for financial literacy and one for civics. And in the financial literacy curriculum, we've aligned to either state standards for a couple of the states that have state standards or the Jumpstart national standards. And jumpstart.org is, is an organization devoted to helping uh, improve financial literacy. And one of the things, and I we picked this up from the Wisconsin standards, is when you're in high school, there is a bit of a, a push to, to have college be your only path, but it's really not true, right? I mean, if you think about it, there's many paths. You could go into the military. You could take a gap year. You could take a two or four-year college. You become an apprentice. You could move into starting your own um, uh, small company. Uh, and so when, when we were taking a step back and building out our curriculum, we wanted to make sure that are the students were exposed to more ideas than just, you know, go to college, which is great, right? Of course, go to college is great. I, but there are other life paths that you can have. Um, and what we find is that uh, there are many people who felt shortchanged when the only things that were taught about this in business were like become an entrepreneur or go to college. Well, what what if I what if I want to become a mayor of a town and and serve my fellow citizens, again bringing in civics. So there's there's a lot of career options for kids out there. Yeah, I, it's it's. I remember in elementary we did something like this where we went to it was like a warehouse, but it had set up as a mini city, and so you had someone who was elected mayor through oh, yeah. things. And I forget what it was called, but it was a really cool experience. Uh, I still remember I was like the head uh, newspaper writer. Uh, and so like, it's just a fun experience and I don't know, it just, it opens up your mind, especially at that age to like, 
again, just n- other, other. Well, paths. clearly it influenced you because look at you now, right? <laughs> I guess instead so. <laughs> of, instead of writing, you're, you're on the cutting edge of, right. of media right now. You're podcasting. And you're, exactly. You, you know, so, I mean? you're, so you, you maybe that did influence you. Yeah, it's true. And it, it's just, it's like, I truly believe like we're really missing out on a lot of amazing things in the world because people don't realize that there's other paths they could take based on their, their possibilities, their potential in life. Uh, because they're, they're just taught one thing one way. And, and I really believe we're missing out a lot of beautiful stuff in the world from people uh, because they just didn't know or, or weren't open. Their eyes weren't open to yeah. the possibilities. They didn't get that chance. And so, uh, you know, we're clearly first route is not going to solve all of these problems all at once, but We've got a long-term horizon. We've got a long-term perspective. We do know that the, the other element of this is that, so what about the, if there's data about civics, is there data about personal finance or teaching financial literacy? There's a really powerful study by the Federal Reserve of the United States where they studied uh, the state of Texas because Texas had no personal finance standards and then they added them. And the Federal Reserve had the timing such that they could actually study what was the outcome before and after Texas started teaching personal finance to high school students. They found that the average student who goes through a personal finance program has a 15 to 18 point higher credit score and a 5% less likely chance of defaulting and declaring personal bankruptcy. And they, they, they actually said, you know, in the study, like this doesn't sound like much, but when you run the numbers, that's 40,000 Americans who didn't declare bankruptcy. That's 40,000 Americans who didn't have that because it's a really hard thing to recover from if you actually get to the point where you declare bankruptcy and the ability to manage your finances well enough just to prevent a catastrophic outcome it's pretty amazing. Mm. It's and like that just goes back to, again. We need this because I learned how to balance a checkbook, uh, write checks, things like that. But budgeting, I don't, I don't remember that being taught. And and my parents taught a little bit and tried to. And I think that a lot of this needs to stem from home as well. Um, but I think it's important that we need it somewhere, some sort of program like what you're doing. And it's it's just a topic that is it's hurting a lot of people. So let's actually dig into like, why do we not teach personal finance? Right. Absolutely. Well, if you roll back the clock, say a long time, like a hundred years ago, what did you have? Well, you had a bank, you had a checking account, you had a, a mortgage. That was it. You had a couple of basic stocks, credit cards and debit cards weren't even invented until the fifties with the diners club being the first card. So the complexity of the financial system was such that it didn't make sense to teach it, right? We, we didn't need in it. And of course, there was a certain overhang with, with your parents. You roll the clock forward, even for my mom and possibly for your, your parents, it still wasn't incredibly complex. There was more variation. We had credit cards. We had a whole lot of bad behavior. And now you're, you're in kind of this very complex environment. The traditional banks are uh, not your friend because they make more money on 
uh, bank fees and illiterate people. So they have no incentive to try and create a good outcome. Uh, and there's a, there's a pretty big gap between the strategies for managing a budget and the strategies for wealth creation. So low to moderate income people, they know how to manage cash in many ways, but they don't understand the strategy of, of how do I accumulate wealth? And so part of the reason that we have to break the cycle is it's one of those, you know, old people saying, well, I didn't need to learn that. And I was finally <laughs> like, well, yeah, you didn't. Cause you didn't have this kind of stuff. You didn't have that complexity. In your life. <laughs> right. Well, now we do. Yep. Right. Gotta and eventually it's going to go the other way around. We're going to be the old people going, well, I remember when we had to learn <laughs> oh, how to drive a car. Yeah. And and our kids are going to be like, dad, why do I need to learn to drive a car? It just right. takes me where I want to go. <laughs> stick shift. I don't know how to drive stick shifts. Really? Yeah. I haven't learned how to drive a stick shift. Oh, that was one of my fun. One of my, I have to share this story. So I grew up a very, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. I'll leave it at that. And I remember my first car was a used Pinto and it was a stick shift. And my sister is teaching me how to drive. So I have five older brothers and sisters, right? Youngest to six. and, And my sister is teaching me how to drive. And I, and I get to the middle of the intersection and I pop the clutch and I'm really stressed and really tensed. And of course it's my sister. So she starts laughing and then I start laughing because I realized how absurd this is. So in the, I'm, I'm, I'm stalled out at a Pinto oh. in the middle of an intersection you know, laughing. And so finally some dudes just get out and push the push car, car out of the way. Yep. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. See, that's like, I just, I would, I would like to learn. I just haven't taken the time to do it, but it's, and I wonder kind of going back to like not being taught this kind of stuff. And and again, I could be off. Do you think, uh, and I, I hate to kind of go down this route, but I want your opinion. Do you think there's a correlation between, because a lot of schools are, are governed what they teach and the money that comes from the banks because of the illiteracy of individuals? I don't know how strongly correlated that is. I would say that um, uh, we do know that school funding is predominantly associated with property taxes and property taxes are very unevenly distributed. So you do see a lot of, of poor schools fundamentally and, 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 uh, poorer parts of the country, just because of the way the school funding works. What what happens is, then is is you get this generational um, uh, issue of financial literacy. So the way that we're solving it is at first root, we are a benefit corporation, and what that means is we have a stated public benefit of improving financial literacy and civics. Now the way that we express that is. We know that uh, the home structure influences the kids, obviously. So we make our app free for families. So so if you want to do like planning a family vacation, uh, planning charitable donations or planning home improvement, you know, things that you could get your kids into the conversation with and sit down and talk with them, you can use our app at home with your family to engage in these activities. That's pretty cool. That's, that's a really neat tool 
to give uh, family. So that that's pretty awesome. And I think it's just it just starts, you know, it starts those conversations with your kids, like about financial literacy and and more about that. So um, bravo to you guys for for creating that and giving that out. Um, that's amazing. Um, just is just a, a really intriguing topic, and I'm sure we could go on on and on and on about it um, in different different arms of civics and financial literacy, but, um, just, I mean, with five phases and, and how you guys are attacking financial literacy and, and lack of civic involvement, just really, really cool. Um, I'm glad we got connected because I hadn't, I don't know anyone else doing this, uh, at, at this kind of positioning, I mean, uh, financial literacy a little bit and, and things like that, but what you're doing with civics and finances, both it's, it's a really cool topic. And, uh, so yeah, it's just been, it's been a pleasure talking with you before we kind of say goodbye and everything. I do ask one question of, of my guests, um, when they're on with the fifth trade of pencil leadership being that everyone created uniquely with a purpose to leave a positive mark on the world. Uh, so when everything is said and done for you, Luke here on earth, what do you hope your positive mark is? Yeah, that's, there's, I was thinking about it and I should, I should, let everyone know that uh, Chris feeds you this question, so you do have time to think about it, which is nice. Um, and it's a it's a it's a tough question for me because at one level, there's my own family. I have four great kids. I have a fantastic uh, wife. Uh, we are we are blessed. Um, uh, I one of the home and family jokes is my wife used to say, are we rich yet? And I always used to say no. And then she would like kind of hit me. And then I learned that I, when she says, are we rich yet? I, I always say yes, but then a little bit more money wouldn't hurt. But, you know, we're rich in the, you know, we're rich in family. So leaving my mark would be one, just, you know, creating what every parent wants, right? Creating a future that is better for your kids and, 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 and adults, like you, you're building, you're you're building uh, the next generation. I, I also think that my legacy would be if if we could make First Root into a company that does help improve civic engagement. It does help people improve their financial position. And here's the thing, and and this is kind of why I wanted to be on the show because I think the people who listen to the show would resonate with the following. I hope they do. I want to get first route into every school around the world. I, there's no possible way we can do that on our own. We're not, we're not a big enough company, but all I need is one parent or one teacher or one principal to bring first route into their one school. And we don't have a lot of, we don't need a lot of money. If you have $1,000 in your PTA, or if you have $2,000 in your principal's discretionary fund, or if you can convince a company to sponsor a school for one or $2,000, you have enough money for the kids to feel that they can do something. And my hope by, of being on the show is that people could go to www.firstroot.co, go to our website, and just bring this concept and these techniques into one school. And if enough people do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow and it's going to handle itself. That's amazing. And again, I love that mission and I love the the path you're on to do this because it's needed. It's needed. We, we're seeing the, the negative effects of it not being 
uh, taught. And so we, we've got it. We, we need to educate ourselves and our children and the, the generations to come. And so, uh, Luke, again, um, an honor and privilege to have you on the show and, and, and grateful for you and your heart to, to change and leave a legacy for, for many years to come. And you mentioned that where people go firstroot.co and check out what you're doing there, get connected with you. So everybody, please do that. If you know teachers, if you know administrations, share this. Let's get in front of more individuals that can can help Luke and his mission in schools. And uh, we can do it together. We can leave a bigger positive mark together. And that's what being a pencil leader is all about. And so, yeah, let's do it together, guys. And Luke, again, thank you so much for being on Pencil Leadership today. Thank you so much, Chris. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.